And as I'm filing the police report, it kind of dawned on me that literally 10 days from now, my best friend that uh, I've grown up with over the last 15 years, uh, I'm going to be his uh, best man at his wedding. Wow. But here's the kicker. It's in Mexico. <laughs> oh, man. So, so now I'm stuck in the Netherlands. I need to go back to the States, right? And then from the States, go to Mexico. And I have no passport, no ID, nothing. So I go... What just happened? <laughs> like, this, is there any sort of karma? Like, what's going on here? So I have like 10 days to figure this whole thing out. What's up? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's guest is Tam Pham. He is the founder of Asian Efficiency productivity training company where they help people become more productive at work and in life. He started Asian Efficiency in 2011 and has helped over 16,000 clients since then. Currently, the blog attracts over 1 million readers annually and their podcast, The Productivity Show, is the number one productivity podcast with over 12 million downloads. Tan has been featured in Forbes, Bass Company, and Inc. Magazines, and as a thought leader, he gives keynotes across the world on productivity, efficiency, and time management. I love this conversation because Tan does a really great job of integrating personal stories that showcase his expertise in living an efficient lifestyle, and I know that you will have a bunch of valuable takeaways to choose from. Please welcome to the show, Tan Pham. What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here again with another episode of the Thrive On Life podcast. And today I'm excited for the conversation with Mr. Tan Fam. How are you doing today, Tan? I'm doing well. It's been a crazy day. So this is kind two of relaxing. Two podcasts before this, right? Yeah, two podcasts before this one. So this is the third one of today. Hell yeah. Wanted man here in Austin, Texas. I just appreciate you spending some time here with me and getting right into the conversation. We're going to kick it off with, you were telling me a story before we jumped on here about how you ended up losing your backpack in Europe. And normally it's, we just say, oh, it's just a backpack, whatever, but you actually had your passport in there. And one of my big fears whenever I'm traveling, going back to when I was a little kid, my parents instilled in me is like, make sure you know where your passport is at all times. And I think it's a fear that anybody that's traveling uh, has crossed your mind once or twice of what the fuck would happen if I lost my passport. So I'd love if you could just kick us off with that story of what happened when you lost your passport and then how the hell did you get back to America? So this was mission impossible because I had to figure things out like I've never done before. So I ended up, uh, so I'm here in Austin, Texas as well. And uh, I ended up going to Poland, uh, Warsaw, the, the capital city, to volunteer for the refugees of Ukraine. So when the war started, I remember seeing on the news like, you know, mom, kids crossing the border with a bunch of trash bags and that's all they had. And when I saw those kids going into a new country where they don't have any family, don't speak the language, don't know anybody there. I, I recognized myself. I was like, that is me because 
I was born in a refugee camp in the Philippines. My parents are Vietnamese. They were both refugees. They, they left the country. They didn't know each other at that time, but they met each other at the refugee camp in the Philippines, which is like, you know, if you take a, a boat, it's usually like three or four days to kind of get there. It's like a, it's a wild ride to get there because you're crossing an ocean. And so they met each other at this refugee camp in the Philippines in, in Palawan. And they were there for three years. So they started dating. They got married inside a refugee camp. They had me. And then we ended up moving to the Netherlands where I grew up. And so from like age six months till I was 18, I was in the Netherlands. I have a Dutch passport, grew up speaking Dutch, you know, went to school there, have lots of friends there. And so I knew what it was like going to a new country where you don't know anybody, where, you know, you go to people that don't speak the same language. Uh, you have no family. They look a little different than you. And so when I saw this war starting, I saw those kids crossing the border. I was like, man, that is that was me when I was younger, you know, going into a new country where you don't know anybody. And so I felt really compassionate about it. And then also uh, my ex-girlfriend was Ukrainian. So I really got to learn about their culture and their values. And like, you know, so part of me was like, even though we weren't together anymore, part of me was like, wow, this is like something I would have, you know, gifted to them if I was still in the, that relationship. But also now in that combination of knowing their history and like that culture and having been to Ukraine as well uh, many years ago, and uh, just loving the, the experience that I've had there. Um, I was like, man, I need to give back. And I'm in a very fortunate position to be able to give back. Like I have the energy, the time, you know, the resources to do things. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to book a ticket. I'm going to go there and I'm going to volunteer my time. So within like a span of a week, I went there. And normally like I'm a big planner. Like I love to plan things. I'm very organized. But when the war started, there was just no planning whatsoever on that side of the world because the war just kicked off so they were still figuring out like how to help people how to organize people where to put them in sheltering so it was lots of chaos so i couldn't plan ahead and say hey uh hey organization do you need this help like i'm coming here where can i best serve you they said you know what you just need to show up and we'll figure it out when you get here and i go yeah. okay this is not the typical trip i do but we'll figure it out so i went there organized myself and i said okay I have an Airbnb, it's like super tiny, you know, it's like maybe 60 square feet or something. It was just like, okay, I'm here. I'm not going to be at home the whole time. I'm just here to serve and help people. And so I said, uh, you know, I'm going to be there for eight days and then just do whatever was needed. So I did my time, helped a lot of refugees, helped a lot of women, helped a lot of kids. And because I grew up in the Netherlands, uh, I still have a lot of friends there and my dad still lives there as well. And so I said, okay, after I'm done volunteering, I'm going to hop over to the Netherlands, which is like an hour flight, uh, and spend some time with my dad, and then uh, and then come back to the States. So I was done volunteering, you know, did a good deed, uh, felt really good about it, the impact that I made, and just, you know, going to a school where the kids from Ukraine were at, and just gave them a talk and said, hey, you know, I, I know I don't look like you, but I was in your exact situation, like in a new country, don't know anybody, don't speak the language, but I'm very fortunate to have made something out of myself. So whatever it is that you're going through, like you're going to be okay. Like you're going to have much better resources and everything. So hope to give them some, some confidence. And uh, so when I came to the Netherlands, I went to see my dad. And as soon as I landed, I took the train to go from Amsterdam to a really small town called Nijmegen, which is like the, on the east side of the country near the German border. It's maybe 150,000 people. 
Uh, and that's the town I grew up in. And uh, it's about an hour away outside of Amsterdam. So I took the train, got on the train. And this is like a ride I've taken so many times. Like I go there like at least once or twice a year. And growing up, I took the train a lot. So I was like, okay, this is home. This is comfort. This is a routine. So I'm on the train and there's like a few stops that you go through um, before you get there. And so at the first stop, uh, I remember sitting and at the stop, as everybody's walking out through the aisle on my right side, as I'm sitting next to the window, this guy knocks on the window and he's showing me his train ticket. He's like pointing at it. And like, he's not talking to me, but he's just like pointing at the ticket. And I like look closer trying to look at the ticket and trying to read it. And, it's, and I'm like, this seems legit. Like this ticket seems to work. Uh, I think you should be okay. So I gave him like a thumbs up. And then I was like, you know, going back to my normal routine, just going through my phone. And then like a minute later, I was like, oh, I need to grab something from my backpack that was on my left side that was next to the ale. And then I go, whoa, where's my backpack? Like I thought it was here. And so it was gone and I was like, oh my gosh, like this train is about to go. What do I do now? So I grabbed my carry-on, walked outside and then tried to find the thief, right? Uh, and I was looking and, and looking around and I was like, oh my gosh, like I think I just got robbed. But the, you know, the sad part of it all was, sure, I'd had some valuables, had some very expensive items, had my laptop, some luxury goods, some jewelry and stuff like that. That can all be replaced. That's not an issue. What was more annoying was it had my passport, but also any form of ID because I kept my wallet in it as well. So my driver's license was in it and stuff like that. Uh, and then also my green card. So uh, I'm not a U.S. citizen. I'm a U.S. resident or permanent resident. So I have like a long-term visa to live here. So I can basically do anything except for voting and become president, right? And so I'm like, oh, like, what do I do now, right? So I'm still in shock. And so I go to a police officer, I, I explain the situation. He was like, hey, you need to file a police report. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'm just going to go do that and then go home and see my dad, you know? Um, and as I'm filing the police report, it kind of dawned on me that literally 10 days from now, my best friend that uh, I've grown up with over the last 15 years, uh, I'm going to be his uh, best man at his wedding. Wow. But here's the kicker. It's in Mexico. Oh, man. So now I'm stuck in the Netherlands. I need to go back to the States, right? And then from the States, go to Mexico. And I have no passport, no ID, nothing. So I go, what just happened? <laughs> like, this, Is there any sort of karma? Like, what's going on here? So I have like 10 days to figure this whole thing out. So I'm in the Netherlands. You know, I can't sleep. I'm stressed out. Like, like you, know, I'm wearing an aura ring. Like, my HRV dropped. You know, I can't sleep at all. You know, my readiness score is like in the 40s and 50s every day. I'm like, I can't figure this out. Can't like, function. I, I yeah, can't function at all. You're hoping like the government processes of, yeah, we could probably, like, they just need to file some forms and like I can get everything back super quick. That's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, so remember, Typically. this is also kind of like last stage of like COVID regulations and rules, right? So this is like earlier this year. And so I'm like, okay. I'm going to go to the airport and I'm going to talk to um, kind of like the Dutch uh, border patrol, if you may call it, right? And customs. And I'm just going to figure it out. And there's a U.S. embassy there. You know, I'm sure I'll figure it out. So I go there. And again, it's a train ride. That's about an hour, hour and a half. So I go there one way, hour, hour and a half, get to the airport. And I talk to the Dutch 
patrol agents and or border agents and they go, hey, we can't help you because you're not like registered here anymore. Like you're you're registered in the States, even though you have a Dutch passport, you have to talk to this agency. So I go over to the other agency that's like a few floors below. They say, hey, because of your complicated situation, like you're not living here anymore, you're living abroad, you need to talk to the U.S. Embassy. So, okay, where's the U.S. Embassy? It's like, oh, it's in The Hague. It's like an hour away. So I'm like, okay. So I go there the next day, and then they go, I'm applying for uh, a new passport, and they go, um, excuse me, like, you have to make an appointment, and the next available appointment is two months from now. Wow. And I'm like, is there an emergency department here? They're like, yes, there is. But even for the emergency department, you have to wait two months. I go, guys, I have 10 days to be at this wedding. Like, what do I do? So it took me like four days of every day going back to different departments. And they were just like pointing at each other saying, you need to go here. You need to go there. And uh, eventually I ran into a guy on the fourth day who uh, was a border agent. And he's been there for like 25 years. So he's seen everything, right? And I go to him like, hey, this is my fourth day here. Like, I'm explaining the same story again. Like, what do I do? And he goes, oh, yeah, uh, I'm so sorry you went through this trouble. Like, you know, because of your unique situation, most people, when they help you, they just follow the procedure and they go one step one, two, and three. But we need to actually help you at step number five, right? But they don't know that. So they just help you at, you know, that procedure, procedural step. But actually, what you have to do is, you see that coffee bar over there? Uh, that's where the senior leaders hang out of this airline, the airline you're flying with, KLM. Go to them, talk to them, and they will be able to help you. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I walk over to this coffee bar, and I'm like, hey, is anybody a senior leader here? <laughs> and this guy goes, yeah, yeah, what's what's up? And I explain the situation again. I'm like, and he goes, oh, okay, yeah, not a problem. Uh, let me just call uh, U.S. Border Patrol, and we're just going to make sure you're clear, and then you'll be good to go. And I go, hallelujah, finally. So he go, he goes, makes the call. They verify that I'm actually, you know, a, a legal resident here, right? And they go, okay, yeah, just check in on Saturday, and then uh, you should be good to go. So, like, my flight is in two days. So I'm like, okay, perfect. I feel so good about myself now. Like I can fly back to the States. That's one problem solved, right? So on Saturday, I go to the airport. I go super early just in case, you know, and this is also when I have to take like a vaccine test proof and that kind of stuff. So I go super early. My flight is at 11. I'm there at 6 a.m., like super early. So I arrive and then turns out it's the first day of a strike. So the airport uh, baggage handlers and other staff members are, are on strike. So there's like this massive chaos of like huge lines, which you might've seen on the news where everything is delayed. Like the lines are super long. Like it would take like four hours to check in and stuff like that. And I go, guys, I need to go to this wedding <laughs> like in a week. What do I do? So I stand in line. I wait for like two or three hours. I finally get in to the front to check in with this lady. And I look at her name tag and her name says junior uh, agents. So she's like brand new to, you know, working here as an airline uh, check-in agent. And I go, oh, this is not the person I need to talk to right now. Cause like she needs to look me up in the system. Yeah. She probably doesn't know. So I'm like remembering all the steps and I'm like coaching her through like, Hey, I'm like, Hey, my name is Tan. I know you're new. Like, 
I'm going to coach you through this right now because it's really urgent and my plane is about to leave. Like, we need to make this happen fast. And she goes, okay. She's like 19 years old, like brand new. And she's like super nervous. She calls again the U.S. Customs and goes, hey, I have a passenger here. Can you verify that he's a legal resident, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, yeah, he's okay. Just clear him. And off he goes. Uh, and I'm like, okay, good. She was super nervous, but super excited. Uh, I get to clear customs. And then I arrive in the States. And then because I don't have a passport or anything, I arrive here at Austin Airport and I go, where's your passport? And I'm like, oh, here's my story again for like the 100. Yeah. 150th time. <laughs> and they go, how did you get on the plane and not have a passport? And I go, okay, here's a long story. So then I get detained at Austin Airport and they go, okay, I have to wait for like an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, they go through the paperwork. Eventually they, they can see that I'm actually in the system and they go, okay. Normally you would pay five hundred dollar fine because but because it's your first time, you know we're gonna waive the fee. Like have a great trip. What would the fine be for? For all the paperwork. Okay. okay. That they have to go through. And so, I'm home, but I'm like, I still have no passport. I still need to go to Mexico in like one week. Like, what do I do? So then my assistant helps me, and she got in contact with the U.S. Embassy in Miami. So there's a consulate in Miami, I should say, not embassy, a consulate in Miami where they arrange emergency passports for Dutch citizens, which is specifically me, right? So I came home in Austin Saturday night, Sunday morning, I'm flying to Miami, you know, to go to this consulate Monday morning, or I flew Monday morning to go to the consulate for the Monday morning appointment. And so I'm at the airport 5 a.m., the earliest flight, because my appointment is at 11 a.m. So I go there. Uh, at the Austin airport. And I'm like, you have no ID, no anything. Well, luckily I have clear, right? So with clear, they can scan yeah. your eyes so you can go through it, right? And so I was able to go to Miami because of that. Otherwise, like I have no form of proof. Like it would take me a while to get the driver's license, you know, that kind of thing. So Miami has clear as well. So I knew I would be able to come in and get back out. Very fortunate. So I have a trick for you next time. When you renew your, do you have an, do you have a Texas license? Yeah. Yeah. When you renew online, they give you a piece of paper. Yes. With your license on it. So you can do that like immediately. So if it ever, if you ever lose your license again, like I figured this out the hard way is they'll, they'll email you a paper license like the day of. So as soon as you apply for your new license, they'll just email you as long as you're in the system. Didn't want to cut you off there, but anybody listening, yeah. if you're in Texas, you can and you lose your license, apply online, and they'll give you a paper one. <laughs> yeah, I wish I knew that earlier too. I applied after I landed and and stuff like that, and so yeah, so I was able to go through the Austin Airport security, and then uh, I get on the plane. It's like you know 5 a.m., and then there's like a small delay, which I'm like, no big deal. Plenty of buffer room, like, and then it's like 6 a.m., and I'm like, hey guys, like we've been on the tarmac for an hour, like what's going on? And then apparently there was a bird strike, like a bird hit the engine or something. And so they had to deplane the whole thing because the plane wasn't functional anymore. And I go, guys, like I need to be at this consulate at 11 a.m. in Miami. Like I can't miss this flight. <laughs> so we're all deplaning. And I'm like, guys, my best friend's wedding is in one week from now. I'm the best man. He's going to kill me if I don't go. Like I'm, again, stressed out. Like my nervous system's taxed like crazy. So as I'm deplaning, I'm looking at Google Flights on my phone, seeing if I can book a plane ride or something. And I see that there's a 7 a.m. flight going to Miami by the same airline, American Airlines. So I'm trying to book it as I'm deplaning. But of course, other people are doing the same thing. Yeah. So by the time I'm trying to book, it was full. 
And then I go, yeah, I can go to the next agent, but there's a huge line already of people who want to go on that f- same flight to Miami. And I go, okay. So it's like six, you know, six fifteen. I call my friend Jimmy, who is the director of American Airlines, and this is a guy I randomly met a few years ago, and they've become like kind of like good buddies, but I've never asked him for a favor or anything, right? I call him at six fifteen. I go, Jimmy, I know this is super early. This is very odd, but I need your help. I need to be at the consulate at 11 a.m. I need to be on this 7 a.m. flight. Like, this plane just got deplaned. Can you help me? And he goes, send me your confirmation number, and I'll see what I can do. So I text him my confirmation number, and then five minutes later, he calls me back, and he's like, hey, you're at the top of the standby list. Go to the the check-in agent. Just tell him your name, and I'm pretty sure you'll be good to go. So I go to the check-in agent. I'm like, hey, I'm on standby. And she's like, yeah, you're at the top of the list. I'm like, okay, praying that, you know, there's a seat that's free. Um, And then a few minutes later, she goes, hey, we're looking for Mr. Fam. I'm like, yes. So I go to the check-in agent and she's like, hey, um, can I see your ID? I'm like, oh, no, I don't have an ID. I don't have anything. And I'm like, can I show you my credit card? She's like, yeah, okay, that will work. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) So, like, I was able to get on the plane, you know, middle seat, I don't care, I'm on this plane. That's all I care about. What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Tan. I hope you're loving this conversation so far. But before we get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low, and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. Head over to cjfinley.com and sign up for my daily newsletter, where I will be giving you information, impactful stories, tips and tricks, and access to a community who are focused on making an impact above and beyond themselves. You'll also have the perk of potential shout outs, and possibly even some collaborations. The least that will happen is you will walk away into every day with an extra pep in your step. My promise is that I will always do my best to help you thrive on life. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, connect with like-minded individuals and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with Tan Fan. So I get to Miami, I, I arrive at the consulate on time. And then uh, I talked to this lady who's Dutch, grew up in the Netherlands, right? And I rarely meet Dutch people at all in the States. Like they're very rare to find here. So we were just connecting and I explained to her the situation. I'm like, hey, weddings in seven days. I need to get this passport ASAP. Like, what can we do? And she goes, okay, uh, we can file the paperwork today. Uh, what's gonna happen is when we file it, we're gonna send this document literally physical mail to the Hague in the Netherlands across the ocean. They have to process it. And then they send the passport back here to Miami. And then we can send it to you to Austin. And then I go, how long does this take? And they're like, Oh, typically seven to 10 business days. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like I need this in exactly seven days. I'm leaving in seven days. And she goes, I, I can't control it, but the best I can do is just uh, ship it out today. And I go, all right, let's, let's just go do it. So we did the paperwork. I'm just praying. I told my, I didn't tell my best friend 
that you know i was not possibly coming because i know he was already stressed out you know with yeah. his wedding so the last thing i needed was adding more stress to him so i didn't tell him shit i didn't tell him anything and so every day that goes by my assistant is like calling them emailing them like hey have you have gotten any updates is a process yet you know just being super nice and it's friday and it's like nothing yet and i'm like leaving tuesday the next week right I'm like, okay, this is not looking good. You know, Friday evening, she gets an email saying, hey, seems like they processed the paperwork. They're going to ship it over. We hope to have it on Monday here in Miami. I'm like, oh, okay, do I need to fly to Miami? Like, what do I do? <laughs> do you just go from Miami to Mexico? Like, and I'm like, well, they're like, we can't guarantee that it comes here on, uh, on Monday, right? I'm like, okay, shit. So lo and behold, it does arrive on Monday in Miami. I'm like, okay, can you overnight it to me? And they're like, yes, we will overnight it. So my flight is on Tuesday afternoon, like four o'clock to Cancun. Tuesday morning rolls around and I'm like looking at the tracking number every single minute, you know, refreshing it. You know, you see those memes where cats are looking out the window, looking for the UPS driver. <laughs> like that was me, you know? And so... I think it was like 1130 or something. The UPS driver came like the first round of like overnight shipments. And I'm like, so ecstatic and excited because I know my password is in there somewhere when the UPS driver came. And so I got my password at like 1130 and then I went straight to the airport, went to the wedding, you know, saw my best friend get married to the love is his life. And I had my password. I could travel again. I could, yeah, I was a little stressed during the wedding, but after the wedding was done, I was like, okay, nobody talked to me for two weeks. I just need to be by myself, you know, need to take care of me, you know, focus on recovery. Those are all the things I teach to my clients is, you know, productivity, recovery, and that kind of stuff. And I was like, I need to take my own advice now and just be by myself, you know, relax. And and then, yeah, that's how what I got back story. in. story. Yeah. That is, uh, first, like, you're a great storyteller. That was awesome how articulate you were with all the little details of everything going on. And then second, I'm sorry you had to go through. It sounds like every little mishap here and there. What was your biggest learning lesson from that? Because you started the trip out doing a good deed. And I feel a lot of people would be resentful of like, this is what I get for like going out of my way to like go do something good. And now it's being thrown back on me. I should have just stayed put. I should have just stayed in my lane and, and kept going with the same story that I tell myself every day. But you took a risk, did something for the betterment of other people in the world. And then it just seemed like one thing after the other negative was happening in the other direction. What was your takeaways after you did do the recovery and after you did spend those two weeks to yourself and, and really reflecting? Yeah, I think I learned a lot about myself, but also about other random things like U.S. immigration laws and stuff like that. But what I learned about myself was I get easily stressed if I don't have control over a situation. Mm -hmm. Like I'm pretty good at focusing on the things that I can control, right? And so in psychology, they call it the locus of control. It's like you focus on the things that you can control. And oftentimes when you do that, you don't stress about stuff as much. But now I was like doing the opposite of, I was focusing on things I couldn't control. Like I couldn't control when I would get my password. I couldn't control when I would get back in, if I even could get back in, right? I was thinking about potentially being stuck abroad for a month or two until I get this appointment. 
or whatever. And then all the consequences of that, you know? And so I had to recenter myself and say, hey, what are the things I can't control? And I had to remind myself of that. And it's something I've learned from, so I work with a sports psychologist and she's been with me for four years now. And it started off just me out of pure curiosity, studying professional athletes and what they do to thrive, you know, and be at the best level and, and perform. And I noticed they all have a sports psychologist. And I said, huh, I wonder if that uh, translates into business as well. Because you, when you look at the show Billions, they have like someone there too to kind of walk them through the trades and, you know, stuff like that, you know, help them give an edge. And I thought, I wonder if that applies to business too. So I started doing this like four years ago. And lo and behold, it does give you an edge because it's not necessarily that you learn business lessons or coaching in that sense, but it's more about you're unwiring and decluttering a lot of things in your brain so that you can see clearly ahead. Not a lot of noise. And if you do look at the wrong things or if you're focusing in the wrong areas, this person can kind of get, get you back to center. Just focus on the right things. So I learned from working with her that I need to focus on things that I can't control. Even though it's a, such a simple lesson, when we're under stress and duress, we always default back to our level of training, right? And so having had a lot of reps with her, I realized in that moment, like, okay, I'm under stress, duress, like I need to focus on what I can't control. What I can't control is, you know, uh, what activities I can do. I can control that I go to the airport. I can control that I go to this person. And so that's one thing. The other thing is, and this is something that's like a bigger life lesson for all of us here is most problems can be solved when you talk to the right person. Mm -hmm. So when I go to the airport, I knew that as long as I can get in front of the right person, I will figure this out. I just happened to be that the first 20 people I talked to were all kind of like junior people. And so they didn't have the experience or insight to know that, you know, they were just following step one, two, and three, like they were learning about a book. And it wasn't until day four when I ran into, into this agent that's been there for like 25 years who knew like, okay, I can step the first steps, you know, and help you at step number five, right? So I knew as long as I kept going and end up finding the right person, I will eventually get what I want. So whether that's, you know, you go into a restaurant and you need a reservation for your anniversary or something, and it's fully booked online. Like if you're willing to go in person and you talk to the GM or just the right person who works there, like they can help you get that reservation. They'll make an exception to the rule and, and whatnot. And that's a bigger life lesson in everything. It's like everything that you want, you just have to talk to the right person, whether it's them doing something for you or learning a life lesson from them that you can then apply to your life, right? So like if you're in your business and you have to fire somebody for the first time in your life ever, like that's not fun. But guess what? There's been thousands of people before you who've done it who are happy to share with you what to do, what not to do, right? And so that's something I kind of knew. And so when I was in that situation, I knew, okay, I need to find the right person who will help me at the airport. And I'll just keep knocking on doors, going to people until someone will tell me what the next step is. So that was another major lesson from that. And then the third thing I would say is in order to manage my stress, I was just trying to journal and just remind myself of all the things I'm grateful for. Like if this happened in Poland where I didn't speak the language, I might've stayed at a hotel where I don't know where I was at, not around a comfortable home whatsoever. I was very fortunate that this happened in my home country where I spoke the language, where I was still able to see my dad every single day, hang out with him, 
right? And he saw me during this stressful time and was able to cook me food and, you know, kind of like keep me calm and centered. I could have been in a much worse situation, right? So the fact that I was still able to speak the language, even though I haven't lived there since I was 18, people, when they heard me speak Dutch, they knew like, okay, I was legit. Like, this is not a guy who was trying to, you know, camouflage himself to come to the States and, and live there. No, this this guy speaks their language and Dutch is a very uncommon language. Like if you speak it, you definitely have lived there. You know, it's not like something you learn randomly in school. And so when I was conversing with these people over there, they knew like, oh, he's like one of us. Like he's really in dire need. Like, so I got a lot more slack from a lot of people because of that situation. And so I was just really trying to remind myself to be grateful of what I had. Like worst comes to shove, if I had to stay in Europe for the next two or three months, in the grand scheme of things, it's not the end of the world. Like, it's not a bad thing either, right? It, was just, it would suck if I missed my best friend's wedding. And, you know, that was a moment that I didn't want to uh, miss. And so that was something I was so driven by was I want to see my best friend get married and be there for him because I know that's only once in a lifetime. Mm. And so those are the moments I live for. And for me, life is all about a collection of memories and you have the influence and power to create those memories right and so i wanted to be there and um man like immigration laws like i said like you don't know how tough it is to live in the states until you're not in the states and you're trying to get in if you're born here you have no clue how difficult it is for people to get here and so i really empathize with people who when they move to the states like even if they don't speak english or they look different than what you're expected. It took a lot of work for them to be here. And that's something I couldn't realize again until I was in that situation where I couldn't get in. Even though I have all the advantages now to be able to get in the money, the resources and everything, it was still almost impossible to get back in. So all the people that have come here before me and are coming in today for whatever reason and due to whatever circumstances, I really empathize with them even more. Um, and I tell people all the time, the biggest lesson and skill and thing I picked up from coming back from the refugee camp, uh, in Poland was before when the war started or if anything else bad happened in the world, I had very little empathy to me, it would just be another st statistic Like this many people died in this yeah, war. We're, we're desensitized to that because it just, if you have social media and you like, it's just, there's something going on every day. It's easy to be desensitized. Exactly. And that's what I was. I, yeah. And it would just be another event or statistic. And I would go just move on with my day because I was just focused on, on the things I could control. Right. But after going to Poland and volunteering, and even though I didn't speak Ukrainian or Russian or Polish, just the humanity of seeing these people coming in with very little sometimes no documents, you know, just with a bunch of trash bags with their valuables move in, trying to start a new life. You know, I was reminding myself, like, that's what my parents were, you know, when they first started off. Like, there's a photo of me and my mom and dad at the airport in the Philippines where you literally see a diaper bag, a briefcase, and then one suitcase. And that's all we had. And that's how we started our life in a new country, right? And so when I saw those kids and moms coming in, I was like, oh, man, that was mean. And I don't know what it was, but it was just like, when I came back to the States, I have a new sense of empathy now. Like if, like before, if someone's 
for example, passed away, I can kind of logically imagine that that person would be devastated, but I've never had a pet. So like for me, it was always the idea of like, if I don't have firsthand experience, I can't empathize with you as much. But now if someone had a pet, you know, pass away, even though I've never had a pet myself, I can now empathize with that person and go, man, that's, that's really tough. Like you're probably very attached to that animal. Uh, there's probably a lot of fun memories that you have, like, and now I have like a new sense of empathy. So when someone's car breaks down or they go through a breakup or they're having a kid and they're like, yeah, in a real stressful time, like I have a much more bigger sense of empathy now that I never had before. And I think it was just because I was volunteering my time there and I just saw everything for something. It just unlocked like a new gene or something inside mm, of me that goes, yeah. whoa. There's a lot of suffering in this world. And when someone is going through something, like there's a saying, you know, like always be kind because you never know what people are going through. And it's like, it's it's a one thing to hear and it's kind of a nice idea. But now I see it from a completely different perspective and I go, yeah, a lot of us are going through stuff. And, you know, being kind to people doesn't cost you anything, but it can mean so much to different people. And so I have that new sense of like gratefulness and empathy and just, being able to connect with people on, on a much deeper level because of that experience. That's amazing. And the, and the takeaways that you have are so realistic to everyday life. I have a habit of like categorizing different things, especially after as many podcasts as I've, I've done. And what you talked about there is controlling your controllables, not taking no for an answer, and then perspective there at the end. So in the beginning, you're talking about it can be a good thing and a bad thing when we're talking about controlling your controllables because a lot of people, if they just focus on controlling their controllables, their life would be better. But then people like us who are so, we wake up and are so in control of what we can control that when those are thrown off, we get into this stressed out mode and it can throw us off a little bit. That's where the reminder of humanity out there reminds us of like everything could be taken from us at any given moment. And who would we show up as when that happens? And then the ne not taking no for an answer. So many people in your position would have just been like, oh, I got two weeks, two months here now in Europe. But the fact that you had the resilience to show up and, and really ask questions and not take no for an answer. Like you kept showing up. You had to travel that hour each day to figure it out for four days in a row. A lot of people give up in that, in that scenario. So Kudos for you for having that resilience and then perspective at the end where I think that's this is something that everybody, especially living in America, it's so easy to lose our perspective here. I see it, social media and the news all the time, how many people are bantering back and forth around things. But I'm just like, I'm sitting there thinking, you have a thousand dollar phone in your hand that you're like arguing with somebody else. Like, why are you using your energy for this right now? Like if we all use their energy in a better way, in a more kind way, uh, and then obviously I'm human, I find myself through a daily basis of wasting energy in my own mind of like things that I don't need to be thinking or ways that I don't need to be spending my time. And that's where I'd love to shift this conversation into something you're super passionate about and you've helped a ton of people with its productivity and producing a higher quality life for themselves. How did you get into this obsession with productivity? So if you're listening to this episode, on the previous episode that I've had with Danny, Miranda, and Zach Pograb, we talked a lot about obsession. And I was very excited for this conversation here with Tan because 
his brand around helping people be more productive and efficient is super in line with me and what I'm obsessed with. There's this quote that I recently heard by James Clear. We don't rise to our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. And I'm a systems engineer by trade, went to school for it. And I love building systems to help businesses, brands, myself be more productive. And the fact that I have somebody here across from me that literally lives and breathes this all day, every day, and has helped people all over the world is very special for me. So I want to show some gratitude there, but yeah, I would love to throw the ball in your court and just get a little bit of an understanding of where that obsession for you came from. Yeah, we're going to give a shout out to James Clear as well. Uh, I met him before, when he just started his blog. We met at, a, at an event in Portland and we became good friends ever since. And so it was really cool to see him start from nobody knowing him to now becoming the best-selling author in personal development in the last you know, few years. And a great book for everybody who hasn't read yet, Atomic Habits. Um, so when people first meet me nowadays and when they see my life now, they think, oh, Tan must have been always been this effective and organized and efficient. And honestly, <laughs> it couldn't be further from the truth. I, I had my first corporate job in Los Angeles. I've only had one job in my whole life. And this was one time when I lived in LA uh, back in 2008, 2009 is when I had this job. And I actually dropped out of school to work there full time. And it was like this life coaching business. And uh, long story short, I saw this guy speak somewhere. And I was so fascinated by him that after his speech, I walked up to him and I said, hey, I think you're awesome. Like, I would love to take you out for lunch and see how we can maybe, you know, help you out in your business or whatever. And he said, okay, let's go ahead and do that. And so when we met for lunch, uh, one thing I did is this, you know, Remember, 2008, 2009, so YouTube just started, just barely started. And he had a YouTube channel. And one thing I've learned previously was SEO. And so I created this like 20-page report where I showed him how to optimize for SEO for YouTube. And so when I showed up for lunch, I gave him this 20-page report. I said, hey, thank you for coming for lunch. I looked at your YouTube channel. Like, if you take this report, I think it would be really helpful. And he was like blown away that I had done this, right? And so he said, by the end of lunch, hey, I want you to come intern for me for two weeks. And I go, okay, let's let's do this. So every day after school, I would go to his office in West Hollywood, you know, and work under him. And he was teaching me so much about life coaching, business, you know, just mentoring me along the way. And after two weeks, he said, Tan, you should come work here full time. And I said, I'm in. <laughs> Because I was learning way more in those two weeks than I did in school. That's amazing. So what school were you at? I was at uh, Pasadena City College, a community college. Okay. And so I was about to transition into Cal State LA. And I went, oh, man, I need to be here. Like, I'm learning way more, right? For me, learning is way more important than having a degree. And so I said, I can always go back to school, but this opportunity might be once in a lifetime. So I'm going to go for it. So I dropped out of school, went there, worked underneath him. And I was, again, learning so much, but because the company was growing so fast, my to-do list started growing like crazy as well. And so I couldn't keep up with my own to-do list. And so when we're having meetings, I was always the guy that was behind on things. And when people would ask me like, hey, where's this at, Tan, or what's the status update on this? I would always come up with like some sort of excuse or, you know, say something that kind of gave me a little bit more time. 
And so I went from working like, you know, 40 hours a week to like 60, 70, 80 hours a week working on the weekends as well, just to keep up with the demands of the company and the workload. And so I said, hey, like time is limited. There's only so much I can do in a day. Like I need to be more efficient. I need to be more effective. So even though I was learning a lot from my mentor, I was like, I need outside information or knowledge or tools or whatever to help me get the stuff done. So this is when I started reading the books like Getting Things Done by David Allen, which is like a classic. I was reading stuff by Brian Tracy, which is like a personal development coach. Uh, same thing with like Tony Robbins, which most of us know nowadays. And so every day, you know, I would, my commute was like 45 minute one way. I would pop in an audiobook, right? It was just like audio CDs at that time. This is before, you know, <laughs> digital stuff was a thing. So I would just pop in it in every day and on my way home, I would listen to stuff and I would pick up new things and I would go, okay, let me just try that at work or try it the next day at work. And so that's what I did. I just took some of their ideas that I heard about and just tried different things. And over time, I kind of developed my own little framework and system. And I was, again, going to other workshops as well. And I started to notice that all the things I was learning, as I started implementing them, I started seeing some results. Some worked, some didn't, some made things work, but most things worked. And so as soon as I saw the results, I said, oh, this is really valuable. And then I became one of the most productive people at the company. So everyone started to notice like, oh, Tan is getting a lot of stuff done. He's always on time. He's getting organized. Like, So I got promoted really fast in the company and kind of rose up. Uh, but then the problem was I got a letter one day from the U.S. government that said, hey, Tian, uh, you're a Dutch citizen. You're here in the States under a student visa. So the fact that you're not enrolled in school right now means that your student visa is not valid anymore. You're, you're, you're going to have to leave the country in the next 30 days. I go, oh, shit, like, what do I do? <laughs> like, you know, my parents are going to be upset. You know, they, they were, I didn't tell them I, I dropped out of school. Uh, they, they were thinking the whole time I was still in school. And so I was like, oh, shit. I have to leave the country, you know, my visa expired. There's no way I'm going back home now. My parents not knowing that I dropped out. And so I said, okay. So I got rid of all my stuff. And this was kind of like my first introduction to what I now call forced minimalism. Like I had to become a minimalist because I had to move countries. And so I left. And as I was kind of like telling people, a friend of mine said, hey, I live in Bangkok right now why don't you stay here for a little bit until you figure out what your next move is going to be? And I said, perfect. <laughs> I mean, this is my only option anyway. So, Did you have I, to leave that company or were you like yeah, working no, remote? I had to leave that company as well. I, I couldn't stay there. Uh, I had to be at the office. This is when working remotely was not a thing. You know, you have to show up at the office every day. And so I left the company, left the country, went to Bangkok and as I was going there, I had to like figure out what to do next. And I knew I was going to come back to the States at one point because my parents applied for a green card in 1999. And this is now 2010 when I left. So it's been 11 years. I knew on average it would take like 10 years to get your paperwork done. So I knew at one point I was going to come back anyway. So I'm just like killing time in a way before I was going to go back. And so I said, you know what, let me just start a blog. Again, 2010, this is when blogging just started taking off, right? Like if you want to become a content creator, you had to start a blog. That was the thing. So I started a blog called it AsianEfficiency.com. And I would just publicly document all the things I was learning, both presently, but also all the things I, I learned 
at my job and from my mentor and all the workshops that I attended and the books I've read and stuff like that. So it's just me publicly documenting what I learned along the way because I kept getting questions from friends and family. Hey, Tian, you seem to know how to organize yourself, how to get stuff done. Like, how do you do things? So instead of writing those emails over and over and over again or copy and pasting, I said, let me just post a blog and then send people there. So I made a commitment and I said, let me just write a blog post every single week on everything I know about productivity. And I did that for about a year. And then because of SEO, having, having a little bit of background in SEO, even though I wasn't optimizing for followers, I just knew the best practices. So the natural habit was, okay, let's have a good title, have a good you know outline and make sure it, it works and, and, and such. Year later, New York Times, Lifehacker, which was like a big blog back in the day, Gizmodo, and like a lot of major tech publications discover my website and start linking to it. So I got this flood of traffic within wow. the span of three months, just like going haywire. And then I started getting all these emails saying, hey, Tan, I love your stuff. Like, do you have a course? Can you do coaching for me? And I go, no, this is all for free. This is all just a passion project. This is just me publicly sharing. This is not a business or I don't have anything for sale. But I kept getting those emails. And so one day a light bulb moment went off and I said, oh, maybe I should turn this into a business. Like there seems to be enough demand for this. And so I started to launch uh, a business, you know, filed the paperwork and stuff. And I said, okay, what's my first product? Like, what am I actually going to teach? And this is at the time, again, 2011 now, I knew that sleep was one of the most important things for productivity. Now, sleep nowadays has become more accepted as like a thing for productivity. 2011, nobody knew that sleep was so important, but I knew that it was. And so I did a lot of research. I noticed like people are having sleep issues and stuff like that. And I go, people need this product. Like if they have this information, they're going to be so much more productive. So I created an audio course called Better Sleep. It was like 45 minutes long, kind of showed you what I call a shutdown ritual, kind of helps you wind down at the end of the day, like the last 90 minutes of the day, as I like to call it. And uh, it will help you prepare for a great night of sleep. And if you have a great night of sleep, even if you don't sleep more, but you have a greater quality of sleep, you'll still feel a lot more energetic. And so I launched it and I had an email list of like five, 6,000 people and I go, okay, I did the math. You know, I could make a few thousand dollars. Like, this could be good. Launched it within the first week. I think I sold like $200. And this is like a $10 ebook, you know? And I go, oh my gosh. Like, I thought I was going to make, you know, $20,000, <laughs> you know, not $200. And I'm like, this is not a business. Like, I don't think I could turn this into business. Like, I had all this demand. You guys want to be more productive? Like, Product buy market this. fit, though. That's the, the, the tricky part. Is finding that product market fit. They wanted. They didn't want to hear about sleep. Yeah, that's, that's the thing you're ten years too early, apparently. <laughs> and so I said, okay, what do I need to do to make this product work? And I talked to a few people uh, again who were more successful than me, and I said, hey, I just had this huge product failure. What do you think I should do? And someone said, oh, you need to learn about uh, lean startup. And I go, what is lean startup? And he goes, just read the book Lean Startup. And I go, okay. And this is where they talk about product market fit. And I go, yep. oh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I was doing <laughs> research on the internet, but I wasn't actually doing research with my own audience. If I had done that, they would have told me that they didn't care about sleep whatsoever. They cared about managing their to-do list. That's what they cared about. And so one of the big ideas behind Lean Startup is, yeah, you're looking for product market fit, but also you're trying to build a product with 
your ideal customer and you're building it with them, iterating it so that over time when it becomes version one and you release it, you know it's going to be a hit because you've proved it and they've paid for it, you know, and so on. I said, okay, so I'm going to run the survey. I'm going to call people that I don't know on my email list that volunteered that they want to hop on a call. So I go make like, you know, 60 calls in a week. And I'm getting on the phone call with these people. And I go, huh? These are my people? These are people who are reading my stuff? You know, again, this is like 2011, so 11 years now. So I was like 30, or no, 23. So I'm a 23-year-old kid talking to like VPs and executives in their 40s at major companies. And I go, I thought you were the same age as me. I thought that you were a budding entrepreneur. And it turns out most people that follow my stuff that really enjoyed it were like executives at major companies. And I go, huh, like these are people I don't hang out with whatsoever. These are not my friends. These aren't people in my surroundings. I have no clue who you are as a person. So when I did all these calls, I learned so much from talking to all these people to understand like, you know, the hopes or the desires, their dreams, their challenges, and really getting an understanding of what makes them tick and what they want and need. And that's when I realized, oh, they all need help with their to-do lists. So I created a new, new course, helping them manage their to-do list more effectively. And when I launched it, I think I did like $300,000 or something. Holy shit. And I was like, this is it. This is it. Oh my God. You know, and now I was like, this is product market fit. <laughs> now I, I can was ex expecting 30,000. Wow. It was that just, is awesome. It blew it out of the water. That is awesome. And so I was like, okay, now I have a business. Now I can, you know, actually do this full time. And very fortunate that it was something I was passionate about already. And now that I can do it full time helping people. And so ever since then, it's just been whatever I'm interested in, intersecting that with what the market wants or what people want and need. And so I always like to lead by example and say, hey, I want to live a productive life. I want to live the life that I think inspires a lot of people and lead by example. And hopefully people will, you know, uh, will be touched by that and hopefully want to learn from that as well. And so if I can learn all this information and knowledge and then package it up and give it to them and hopefully save them time that way, you know, that's really what I'm here to do, essentially. Each one, teach one, the world becomes a better place. When I think about productivity, I think about we don't need more. We need to reflect and be self-aware on what are we doing that's unproductive in the first place. And if you take those little bits out, we innately just become more productive. And I'd love your viewpoint on what do you think the average person is doing that's unproductive that is hurting their chances at living this productive lifestyle that you're talking about? Well, I would say the two most common things for most people is the first one is multitasking. And then the second one is email. So what would multitasking look like? So multitasking is you sitting behind your computer, listening to an audiobook, uh, having YouTube on another monitor, and then trying to run like a spreadsheet where you're trying to calculate, you know, CAC, customer acquisition cost or anything that's really important or sometimes even creative work, right? And so I think people lost the ability to focus on one thing at a time. So when people talk about like deep work, as some people call it, or just focused work, 
a lot of us lost the ability and skill to say, hey, I'm just going to focus on one task at a time that will have my full undivided attention and do nothing else. Like imagine if I, I am doing this podcast with you, I'm also texting on my phone, you know, and we have like maybe in the background, like a video playing, you know, of like some sort of seminar, you would not get the best out of me and I wouldn't get the best out of you. Even though we have all the knowledge and tools available to us. It's just because we're unpresent and we're not focusing on the things that matter, right? So for me, one of the things I always want to help people with is go away from trying to do multiple things at the same time to doing just one thing at the same time. And if you study how the brain works in neuroscience, you realize that the brain can only focus on one thing at a time. If it does switch at things where it's like multitasking, it's called switch tasking. The brain will switch focus from one thing to another, but it's really inefficient at that. And it's draining a lot of energy. And we also tend to make more mistakes when we do that. It's one of the reasons when we drive and text at the same time, car accidents rates go up quite a bit because the brain can't do two things at the same time. It can only do one thing really well. So if we want to maximize our brain power, we really want to just do one thing at a time. And this then uh, focus groups too, where they have two groups of people, they have the same to-do list, but they tell one group, try to do all of them at the same time and finish it. And then the other group go, do one task at a time and start at the top. And you can only work towards the second task when the first task is done and then move on to the next one. And they've noticed that the group who does one thing at a time is about 30% more efficient than the group who does multiple things at the same time. So it really shows the power of just focusing on one thing at a time. But a trap that we oftentimes get into is when we multitask, we feel really productive. We, we feel like we're busy. We feel like, like we're moving, right? But that's the fallacy of multitasking is we're actually not making progress. We're, we're busy, possibly, but we're not making progress, which is productivity. So that's the one thing I would say most people struggle with. And the second thing is email. So most of us probably check email way more than we should. We probably spend way too much time. Like the average corporate worker in America spends like seven, eight hours a day on email because they take email home with them at work. Sometimes when they wake up, first thing they check is email, right? When they go home, sit on the toilet, they check email. Like email is everywhere. So I feel like if you're an entrepreneur, DMs is the new email. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like Instagram DMs, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, like Telegram. Like there's all these. Because my wife, Erin, she deals with the emails. And like I've like living in the world of entrepreneurship, I've kind of like been like, don't email me that. But I get tr sucked into the DMs, personal messages, WhatsApp, whatever. I'm there. So it's just like I've said no to this one thing, but I've just taken on this other thing uh, that literally is the same thing. Pretty much. Exactly the same thing. Yeah. So the system that I've created, which is really simple, is for email specifically, I would tell people, hey, check it twice a day and limit yourself to 30 minutes every single time. So like I personally check email like once a day at 4 p.m. and once a day at um, 11 a.m. So like twice a day, 11 and 4, and I set a 30-minute timer so I can limit myself to just checking email in those periods. So I spent maybe an hour at most per day on email. And I do the same thing with my phone, with my inboxes and stuff, so that I can get back to people in a still timely manner while still creating the boundaries of structure so I can focus on the other parts of the day. So for example, I, I typically wake up around six or seven 
I know that I'm most focused on energetic till like noonish. And so I said, you know what? Until 11, I want to do all my focus and creative work, my writing, the podcasting, uh, production of anything. And then 11, I'll check email. And then noon is like, you know, intermittent fasting. I try to eat lunch then around that time and kind of like take it a little bit easier. And then at four, before I wrap up the day, ideally, just check email one more time, get back to people, and then I'm good to go. And I would do the same thing with text messages and other inboxes. What is your view on meetings? I think meetings can be very productive. Um, I think the challenge most people have with meetings is they tend to be unproductive use of time. So a good meeting is short. It's straight to the point. And if you ever join a meeting that we have at my company, you'll go, is this a meeting? This, this sounds more like a straight to the point knowledge sharing gathering of people rather than a meeting. So when I have my meetings, I go, how's everyone doing? You know, making sure everyone's mic is working because we're all remote, right? And then I go, okay, here's the agenda, right? Here's the ideal outcome. Let's work towards this. This meeting won't last more than 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And we need to have it done before then. Let's go. And so it's optional for people to be on the meeting, but then also we're always working towards an outcome. And then when we end our meeting, we always have the three W's. Who does what by when? It's a really simple thing. Who does what by when? So this we, is gold. This so is... we know who's accountable. We know what they're going to be doing and when it's due. And so we have one person at every single meeting that takes notes. And that person is responsible for taking all the notes, right? So we have a shared screen. Everyone's looking at the same screen. And that person is taking notes. And so whoever's leading the meeting also never is the person who takes notes. They're always two different people. And so when we end our meeting, we go to who does what when. Everyone repeats it. I go, you know, CJ does this by when. I go, CJ, can you repeat back to me what you're going to do? And then you go, okay, I'm going to do this and this. And if you don't know or if you're like, I'm unclear, then it would be a quick way to say, hey, okay, do this, do that, or here's some resources, right? So you're absolutely clear what you need to do. And you know by repeating it back that you know what you need to do. That may take like two, three minutes when you wrap up the meeting. But as a result, everyone knows what they need to do. I have a form of holding people accountable now because it's in the document and it shows who does what by when. So on our next meeting, when we kick it off, we go, hey, let's look at the who, what, when, and what happens. And let's demo it. Let's look at this. And so now we're holding people accountable as well. So they know when they show up on the meeting, they better have something <laughs> to show for. And if they don't, they know they're going to be roasted. Um, so when I do my meetings, like if it's a continuation of stuff like that, like we always have something to look forward to and we kind of know the agenda. And if it's something brand new, like we're just starting a quarter or something like that, then uh, it's more about working towards an outcome. And then usually the first who, what, when will then lead into the next meeting. So we just follow up on that. So they're pretty productive. I love that. I've never heard that. And that's something I'm going to take away out of this. I mean, we focus heavily on the projects that I'm in we create rocks and things that people are focused on, but I find it, this makes it really easy to do in every single meeting. So every single meeting that I go into moving forward, all I'm going to be thinking about is who, what, when, and like that outcome of this is all that matters. Like if we're meeting like who, what, when, who's doing what by when is the only thing that matters. Uh, so I love that statement there. And I think that's a huge takeaway for anybody listening to this. 
I would love to continue talking to you for another hour, two hours, three hours. There's so much that I want to ask you, but we're getting close to wrapping up here. And I want to give you an opportunity to kind of talk about what you're up to today. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to just be agentefficiency.com. It can be, I know you do a bunch of super connector events here in Austin, Texas. So feel free to just have the floor to kind of talk about what you're doing, uh, who you're doing it for. And then that way, and anybody on the other end uh, that listened to this and really loves your vibe and wants to get involved or connect with you, they can do so. Yeah, I have a lot of different passions and things I'm pursuing. So if you're listening up to this point, you're probably interested in some sort of productivity stuff. So I have asianefficiency.com. I have written over like 600 articles at this point. So there's a lot of stuff on there that you can find. Uh, so if you're looking for anything to help you, you know, live more productively, be more efficient, it's all there. Uh, tons of free resources. And I also have a podcast called The Productivity Show. So that's been something that's been a big passion of mine since uh, 2016, where I have like a weekly episode just sharing productivity tips I've learned. So if, if you don't like reading, you just want to listen to stuff, like that's a great resource. If you're here in Austin, Texas, definitely uh, come meet me in person sometime. Like I host a lot of events around town. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at The Real Tan, where I kind of post about my events and stuff that I do. And one of the things I'm a big believer of is happy people are productive people. That's something I'm known for saying. And so I'm always looking for ways to optimize for happiness, which I think one of the byproducts will be productivity. But also one of the keys to happiness I've discovered is having great relationships with people. If you have great relationships with your family, with your parents, your siblings, your friends, your community, it's inevitable that you're gonna be happy. And one of the reasons I started hosting all these events is because I wanted to have great relationships, not just shallow relationships where I go, oh, I just know this person by name, but actually have great relationships. So I want to be able to hear their story and what they're up to and what they're passionate about. And that's why I put these events together. So if you live in Austin, Texas, I would love to invite you sometime to come hang out and meet me in person and also happy to introduce you to all the people around town who are up to uh, great things and might be in alignment with what you're looking for. So. Those are some of the uh, resources. I love that last point about relationships. It's one of the reasons that I started the podcast. I started realizing that I want to have deeper relationships in my life, but you only have so much time in a day, in a week, in a month, and it can be a real struggle Like when you go to group events to, to go deeper than the shallow end. And even today is, is a great example. Some of the stories you share, I would have never known that that was your life or that your parents went through that refugee camp to get you the opportunity to be who you are. That's so powerful. And it gives you that perspective and that empathy and just perspective. That's, that's really the, the word that comes to mind. And you just gave me another reminder of why this podcast is just so important in the first place is just the relationships that you get to build through communication and sitting down with other people. So if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten all the way through it to this point, don't be shy, reach out come to Tan, one of Tan's events, come to one of my events, If you're specifically if you're living here in Austin, Texas, or if you're not, we had some friends fly in and we get hit up all the time um, for people to come through. So don't be shy. Find those people, find your tribe. Last question I always ask everybody is, what does, if, I, if you were to define thriving, what would you say? What would that mean to you? Ooh, thriving to me is when there's a confluence of everything that you enjoy and are passionate about and just they all just come together and that's just naturally what you do you don't even think about it you're just living life and, and thriving 
a confluence of all the things that you're passionate about. The end of this episode's been super powerful. Uh, the beginning was as well. It was leading up to it. But just your facts, just your statement on the that I believe it's a fact that happier people are more productive people. It goes without saying, I feel like, because whenever I think, if I were to like ask the listener to think of somebody that's happy around them, I guarantee you would say that that person is, has like worked hard to achieve some of their goals or you'd view them in a productive way. They are productive citizen to the society that we live here on earth. I never do this, but I feeling like I want, I, this is a selfish question. Going down the thread of happiness makes more productive people. To end the episode, I'd love for you to take a minute or two to shed light on what would help people become happier. So what makes happy people outside of relationships? We just talked about that because that's a huge takeaway for people where I want to live in a more productive society. I want to live in a happier society. And now that you've kind of said that at the end of this episode, I'd love your view on what would make people happier on top of obviously focusing on relationships. Yeah. So when I say the word confluence, what I mean with that is where everything is kind of coming together in one place and it's almost like synergetic. And so the way I think about it is if I look at someone's credit card statements and their calendar, I can tell from that what matters most to them because it's based on how much time they're spending on something and also what they're willing to spend money on, their valuable resources. So if I look at someone's credit card statement and calendar, I can see like here are probably like the top five things that matter most to you. But my, then my question to you then is independently, if I asked you, what are the five most important things in your life? And you wrote down that list and I matched it up with what I see from your calendar and credit card statement. Do they actually line up? So for example, if you're saying that family is really important to you, but your number one activity of how you spend your time is maybe 80 hours of work on your business, but your family, you say that family is number one, that doesn't seem to match up. Right, like the way you're spending your time, the way you're spending your money. So if we can align those things where like the top five things that matter most to you also is a reflection of how you spent your money and your time, that alignment I think is so powerful that when we can get that in the same place, maybe not ideally one for one, but very, very close to it. That's I think what brings a lot of happiness to a lot of people because now we're what you would call thriving. It's like everything is just in alignment. Everything is just flowing. Everything is just easy. We don't have to have friction or anything. It's just you do what you do. You love what you're doing. And it's all in alignment. You're doing stuff that matters most to you in alignment with your money, your time, and how you rank things. Mike Drop, thank you so much for listening to this episode. My biggest takeaway from this conversation was your focus on having more empathy. There's a lot that we talked about, but I think it is something that in 2022, just because we are getting so digital and we are getting so detached from relationships and in-personness and really going deep with people, it's having an empathy for anybody that you're talking to, anybody that you see, whether it's physical or digital, there's things going on behind the scenes that you don't necessarily know what's going on in their life. And if we can just have a better understanding there and we can communicate better, 
that's going to lead to us making better decisions on our, are we in alignment with our time? We're going to be happier and then we're going to be more productive as Tan would say. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. The best thing that you can do for Tan and I is if you enjoyed this, please save and share it with somebody that you know would also enjoy it. Uh, I'd love for him to get his brand out there and get more people to hear his story. And then please go rate and review and give this show that five star because that's what helps us get more ears on the podcast. I appreciate you all. I love you all. This is CJ Finley with the Thrive On Life podcast. Thrive on. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive On Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive On Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.